Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 93 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Today, we sit down with Denzel Whitaker. You may remember him from The Black Panther, The Great Debaters, as well as his first film, Training Day. We had a good chance to, to link up this year at the 2022 Series Fest. Uh, we were in a reading together, and today we sat down and talked about legacy, the importance of giving back to our culture speaking to all you know the next generation coming up behind us and the work-life balance between being an auteur as Denzel's embarking on right now and still being a person that is energized by his creation I hope you enjoy like and subscribe if you do tell your friends now Dan give us war by the hypnotic brass ensemble So, so just to briefly recap, right? Just mm-hmm. experiences on set. This is this is how would I, I if I had to nicely sum this up, I would almost say everybody has their moment. Everybody has their dream. Uh, Dave Chappelle recently said this in his in his recent stand-up, right? Yeah, yeah. So I compare it to my buddy who's on the set of Top Gun, and he's shooting for maybe like a day, day and a half. Very important scene. Um, he's one of the like the guys at the control. I don't know if you've seen the new movie, but he's one oh, yeah, of the guys yeah. in control when they're um, when they got the pilots actually flying off the aircraft carrier, mm-hmm. and then so they find out like he might be stuck over there, and Tom Cruise's uh, plane gets shot down or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. Not to spoil the movie for anybody, and he's super excited. It's three of them that got picked to be in that control room, and one commander. Mm-hmm. So already one dude kind of nixed himself out because he was just like super fanning. He, he was super excited to be in the movie. Top Gun was one of his favorite movies. He was going up to producers and Crafty and all that stuff. Mm. He was just exclaiming his excitement. And they kind of you know, pushed yeah. him off to the side. They gave him one, one line. So then my friend, he had a bunch of lines. And then there was another female who we, he was acting counterpart. And she had some lines. He said by the time he got to the phase of ADR, he said, all right, cool. They only got two lines cut in there. But then they had him read a multitude of more lines, so maybe 10 other lines, right? Mm-hmm. What they did was instead of took his dialogue on camera, they basically took ADR lines and just kind of wildly threw them in in the background, and then you really only see him for two quick flashes, and that was it. Oh, man. But he said at the end of the day, we are all in support of Top Gun. We are all in support of the Tom Cruise film, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he Tom Cruise was very adamant. He was saving yeah. cinema. So... <laughs> I'm really glad that your friend took one for the team. You know what? Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I give my hats off to Tom. Look, again, when it's your dream, when it's your moment, mm-hmm. we are there to support your dream, right? Am yeah. I right? Mm-hmm. So, Pete, I got one even better for you. LeBron James. I recently shot a commercial with him oh. uh, for Mountain Dew. And when I oh, Wait a second. Wait a second. LeBron James is kicking Sprite to the curb now? I mean, you haven't found out. The commercial's already out. Oh, okay. I probably i I don't. Oh I don't man, out much so, so so let me let me <laughs> let me tell you. It's from Mountain Dew Rise, okay. and they have Gary F. Gray come in and direct the commercial. You're familiar with his work, straight out of Compton. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Big director, even in itself. Now, 
he comes in and directs this. I remember doing the callbacks, the audition. They had us read a couple of lines. Again, very similar situation where they had maybe two of us that were doing very specific things. Mm -hmm. I get there the day of, there's a lineup of us. It's actually eight of us that's going to be in the scene. And I'm thinking that's peculiar because, you know, there's only a two-person scene. We were only supposed to do something. What ended up happening was we became glorified extras because they didn't want to just hire anybody to be around LeBron. They had to be trained actors who wouldn't freak out as soon as he comes in and steals the show and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So very similarly, you know, already we're a couple hours behind because LeBron shows up. He wants to see what the set is like. He wants to, well, what if we change the outfit to this, that, and the third? Again, this is a LeBron show. Happy to support it. Yeah. The time we get to... Uh, you are a Laker. Listen, <laughs> by the time we get to actually shooting it, because he's got two scenes to do that day, that eight of lineup that we had, maybe chopped it down to four. They basically went down the row and it was like, mm, you're interesting, you're interesting, okay, um, one Asian female, one black male, uh, we need somebody white, yes, you, <laughs> they, they, you know, they pick the, the spectrum because it's Absolutely. commercial, you want to be universal. So they stick young lady up in the front, naturally, you know, she's, mm -hmm. she's gorgeous, pairs well with LeBron, she's got a great look. They stick another uh, male back in the back and then they hand me a basket. I'm thinking to myself like, damn, I got this basket. I'm far away from LeBron, and I'm the only black person in here. I'm sure I'm going to be seen on camera. They already cut my line. I knew they had cut my line by the time they handed me a basket, right? <laughs> and, so, and so I'm walking with the basket, and here's the, here's the funny part. Gary comes up to me, and he's like, yo, man, you look familiar. I'm like, oh, man, we probably got similar friends. Because he's thinking, he's like, where have I seen this dude from? Meanwhile, of course, you know, mm -hmm. you got the Black Panthers, the training day, the great debate. Gary knows who I am. We know the same people. But he comes up to me. He's like, yo, you look familiar. So anyway, as I'm, as I'm carrying the basket mid-scene, he says, hey, put the basket on top of the, uh, put the basket on top of the washing machine. Move it over to the left, left. Okay, great. So when you, when you land, put the basket up. So I'm thinking to myself, cool. I direct. I know very, very well where my, where my lens is at all the time. I know very, very well the technicality of a scene. I'm watching the setups. Dog, the basket is covering my head. <laughs> we get to the... Dog, I, I, I kid you not. I hear the commercials out. I go to YouTube. I go to check it out, right? Sure, you don't even see me walking. You already see basket in place. You see this much of my hair. And then you see the young lady, the, the, the Asian lady who's, who's sitting right behind him, and she's the only one that really got featured, and that is it. Oh, my God. Oh, Welcome that's... to Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. 20, 22 years in the business, and you get cut out of a LeBron commercial. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the, no, the no. idea that you got upstaged by a laundry basket. Very much did. I got upstaged by LeBron doing his laundry and the laundry basket, you know. No, no, no. This was supposed to be about him uh, uh, doing normal things. So he was like cutting the grass, taking a salsa commercial, uh, mm -hmm. doing the laundry. Basically, the whole premise of the commercial was uh, Mountain Dew rise. If LeBron never got up and went to practice and instead he you know, found himself in a life of doing normal mm -hmm. activities, what would he be doing? And it's putting him in obscure situations where he's just doing common tasks. Mm -hmm. Be a mere mortal amongst us. Oh, man. If we, we, could, we could only be so lucky. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, you had something. Do you have some technical there you were jumping in with? I or? do. I do want to chime in just on the, the the topic of standing around, hurry up and wait, being somewhere. When I was when I was in LA, I I signed up for central casting and I was an extra in a lot of stuff. And that's just like, <clears throat> okay, get somewhere at five o'clock in the morning sit around for six hours and they're like all right let's go let's go let's go extras let's go let's go you get on they put you in the background they you know they, they get you where you're supposed to be you run the scene for i don't know 20 30 minutes you put your fake drink back down and then you go back out into the holding you sit for another three hours it's it's oh. that's just what it is yeah that's literally what it is yeah, yeah. It, it's a hurry up and wait game and that's you know it, it really is kind of like a life lesson in the business itself. Everything we do in this industry is an endurance race. Yeah. Whether it's auditioning, finding an agent, you know, getting your first role, showing up on set, you know, keeping that sustained energy, it's endurance. Yeah. Um, and, and not a lot of people realize that obviously, and especially in the world of, of Vine and TikTok and everybody, you know, producing their content. And... I do believe to some degree, even they kind of understand the production of it all. Yeah. But we make it look simple. That's the whole point is to make this look effortless and magic. That's like the beauty and the mystery of like Hollywood and film and, you know, entertainment. Mm -hmm. But no, it's, 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 it's far from easy. Not everybody can just do it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've done predominantly stage work and my, my biggest like experience on a set, I was, an extra on Longmire. And for a brief moment, you can see my shoulders as Longmire walks past me. And the, the worst part of that day was not the scene that we shot in the casino that took eight hours for him just to walk past some slot machines. But when we had to walk, when we all had to be fans at a high school marathon mm -hmm. out in the 99 degree heat in the middle of summertime, and they didn't use any of the angles on this from the street side that I was on. So we're standing in the sun, no shade for about five hours, having to be ready the entire time just so they could do a shot from inside the truck and then the front of the truck. So they would just turn their back on us with the camera when he got out. And I was thinking about like how like that's like a small chunk, right? That's an extras experience. Yeah. But then for like, the Longmire guy, they had to do four different takes over the course of an hour from inside the truck. Mm -hmm. Another four takes to make sure they got the right, you know, feeling behind the, yeah, show me the scene kind of conversation with the sheriff. And when you compound that, and now it's like a bigger prolonged scene, like the, how, like, that's like, it's like doing a performance, like a, a weekend run of a show in one day. Yeah. You have to you have to constantly be checking in physically with your breath. Do I have the right energy? I think snacking I think has got to be really strategic oh. on the set. Like you can't I don't think you eat a full meal till you're done, right? I, don't you, think. <laughs> I don't miss no meals now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Oh man, I got I got stories for you. I got stories for you, brother, because I just, uh, here, here's a fun one. I just okay. finished doing um, a film in North Carolina. And there was this scene where basically we get trapped um, into this room, this back room of a small apartment. And this monster is chasing us through the house. Mm -hmm. And once we're in the room, we're basically 
safeguarding this door, trying to keep the monster away. And then the monster bursts through the door, and then we make a decisive plan to either escape or kill it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just setting the stage. Yeah. Now, it's the summer in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's hot. Oh, yeah. Humid. Mm -hmm. And we're shooting on an older stage to which it doesn't have, like, you know, uh, modern day HVAC. And even if you were to turn that on, you would hear it. So yeah. you have to turn it off in between takes. So not only are they plumbing in, you know, a, a ventilation system that they turned on and off, but it wasn't necessarily working that day. And we're working under like, give or take 90 to 95 degree humid conditions in a warehouse to which they have to turn off the air every single take. With that being said, we're supposed to be exacerbated. There's something that happens prior an incident that happens in the hallway um, where I'm like bleeding from a shoulder, I'm out of breath, there's a tussle. So you have to keep that energy up and you have to carry that through. So each take, you almost have to do a mini workout to then get yourself prepared to make sure the continuity is the same, but you're also fighting the natural elements of the weather. I tell you that shirt was soaked all the way down to my navel by the time we finished. And then we cut for lunch and then you come back and it's like, no, you have to sustain. So you have to drink water with electrolytes. Everybody in the crew had to be checked on. Um, at a certain point in time, one of my um, cast members, when we went to lunch, she, she felt like she you know, was getting a little dizzy and lightheaded. So she had to rest. It is an endurance thing to keep that up consistently. Mm -hmm. And you have to really, really not only know your body, but you have to be mindful of the elements you're doing. And the second story, and again, not to just tell stories, but I shot this PlayStation commercial once. Okay. Wonderful time. One of the best things I ever done. It was like an action film compounded into three days. There was one day where I literally got no sleep though. Uh, just because I'm always excited the day before shooting. Couldn't fall asleep for whatever reason that night. Only got like four hours of sleep. And again, we're in the hot sun shooting down in Irvine and we're in front of this giant green screen and I'm in a wingsuit. And I'm standing up on the top of this scaffolding in a wingsuit, pr pretending like I'm falling off a cliff and flying. And I tell you, I literally passed out in the suit. And they had to bring a, med uh, a medic in to come and like wow. revive me. And that's when I learned like sustenance really does help you when you're tired. Mm -hmm. You have to eat a lot of fruits, hydrate a lot. I, you, you learn so much about your body through the process of just trying to maintain because you think you're this engine that can keep going and no, no, at the end of the day, a 12 hour span, you got to keep up. And if you're doing that for three days, a week, a month, it's an endurance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me just say, keep the stories coming. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to dive in. This is episode 93 of the ghost lights podcast. And the guest is Denzel Whitaker. I'm being really chill here because we've already done some, great conversation stuff already. And it's been, it's been really cool to have you on and, and kind of get a sense of your stories. Denzel, thanks for being here. Happy to be here, fellas. Very, very happy to be here. What they don't know is we, we've done a couple iterations of trying to get this together. So now that we got the fellas hanging, <laughs> yeah. you know, we can actually chill and talk. It's been Absolutely. wonderful. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. I've, I've been really, it, when we were talking just before, I, I just kind of unceremoniously jumped into this thing. Um, you were talking about the endurance test that you had to learn the, the way you go through a day on your shoot. And it brings me to our, our first question of the pod that I always ask theater performing, actually, how did that happen to you? That's a great question. 
And by the way, I got to give you your flowers for theater because theater is something I haven't done yet. Mm. That's a whole nother animal. I, I, I would you, be curious to pick your brain on that. Um, it came about for me at the age of 10. Mm -hmm. um, believe it or not, my parents got a call one day from um, a management company okay. saying that, hey, we're interested in your son. Weird, right? Yeah. Very weird. Nobody in my family is in entertainment, so I'll, I'll leave that little tidbit and continue later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we get a call from a management company, um, and my parents are like, well, hey, is this something that you would like to do? And um, at the time, we were trying different options. My, my parents had me in sports. They had me in music. Um, I was a computer nerd from very young. I thought I was going to be a cartoon artist or something of that nature. I love comic books. Mm -hmm. um, homebody, not athletic at all. And so acting seemed fun. I used to watch Nickelodeon and Disney and, you know, one day and dreamed of being on one of the Nickelodeon shows. Mm -hmm. so I'm like, yeah, let's try it. Shy kid, too. Mind you, throw that all into the mix. And I just remember going uh, to this audition. It was like a, a small trial showcase, if you will, mm -hmm. where they basically had all of the kids up on stage and they gave us a prompt and we were to improv. I can't tell you what the scene was about. I don't remember. All I remember is blacking out and doing some sort of character. And then I remember coming to and people were clapping. Yes. And it was just a moment of performance for me. And I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that in my life. And yes, at the age of 10, there was something very exhilarating about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the first time in my life that I didn't feel shy. And so, you know, my parents chose to pursue that. What ended up happening is we, we found out my cousin had signed me up for a kiosk in the mall. And that very same management company happened to be somewhat of a, of a scam company in town. So my parents lost money in the beginning. Oh, man. Um, but that led to me doing two years of background. Uh, my mom was very adamant. She had found out what background was. Um, and she was like, you know, if you feel like this is something that you want to pursue and people are telling me that background is the most grueling, then you have to, you know, uh, do this. And she was still very much working a job at the time. Uh, my father was working a job as well. So, you know, they were splitting their time with me doing background work. And it was like, okay, well, if this is a legit thing that you're interested in, like trying a new sport or anything else, let's see how interested you are in doing, you know, the grueling work before advancing. Two years of that, jumped into commercials, uh, voiceover, some, some small print work, um, and then it naturally progressed from there. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about this 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 natural progression how did your performing acumen change from such a do, do, do you notice the change from when you started at 10 to you know where you got to say in 2001 with training day and then so on and so forth so training day was my first first job ever oh wow okay that was a background role um, it, it was an extras role that got bumped to a principal. So what ended up happening was, um, show up the first day, again, you're, you're in the awe of the spectacle of everything happening around you. I'm 10, I don't know what, I don't even know who Denzel Washington is. I kind of know he's famous, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're in awe of everything. Um, and I remember meeting him. He was just, you know, the kindest, gentlest person you could ever meet. And, uh, He's, he has the gun, he's walking through the, through the house, the scene with mm -hmm. Macy Gray, and he points the gun at me, 
and he says, you know, is anybody back there, blah, blah, blah. And so I naturally responded, yes or no, not knowing I was not supposed to respond. Uh -huh. The director kept it, Denzel kept asking me it. And so just by sheer uh, uh, ignorance on my part or naivete on my part, that's how I ended up getting my first credit. Oh, shoot. That's awesome. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. So you, you, in that moment, you're not knowing what is expected of you and how to, how, to, how to live in there. When did you start to like really start piecing together like, oh, this is the difference from, from, from this type of performance or opportunity to like as it's grown? I think that definitely came years later. Um, happened around like 13, 14. Um, again, I did that string commercials, some small, small guest stars on different TV shows. 14 was, was when I got my first uh, series regular on all that. Oh, yeah. All that. And that was really just learning again, um, showing up on time, you know, what is school, what is the business, what is uh, continuing the work, um, what is leaving school. Uh, you know, I joke about it all the time, but I really was a kid carrying around a briefcase at 14. Because, you know, you have to be, you have to almost be an adult before you be a child, yeah. especially in the business. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, you, you really do have to grow up quick. So when you hear about all of these child stars or uh, people who get older as, as big pop sensations or whatever it may be, they have to grow up quick. And that definitely happened for me. I had to grow up quick. Um, all that was one of the most significant moments within my career of, of making that switch. And then great debaters when I was 17, mm -hmm. working again with Denzel, working with Forrest Whitaker, that was eye-opening and probably the best masterclass I could have ever taken in terms of just learning what can acting be, learning what my potential is, learning how to stretch this instrument, um, dive into character, how to take it serious, how to evolve. That Those two were probably the most pivotal early on. Oh, wow. The, you talk about... What are you, were you like aware of like, I should be paying attention to this? Are they, are those two actors, Forrest and Denzel, are they offering notes? Absolutely. Which, yeah. yeah. They're, they're offering notes. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're completely just giving. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and how would you say, um, abundant in their approach. Yeah. That's what they do. They nurture. Uh, Denzel, that's, he, he talks about it all the time. He loves fostering young voices. Uh, giving back to the community. Absolutely. Uh, even before acting, he worked in the Boys and Girls Club. That was something he he um, was very passionate about. Mm -hmm. The gift of me being young is that I'm just soaking it all in. Yeah. And I'm not really understanding the severity of this. Yeah. You know, as an adult entering the game, you probably take every chance and you're a little bit more nervous, a little bit more high stakes because it's like, oh, man, I... I need this role or I finally get to work with such and such. You have all these um, impressions of the ego that you take with you as an adult that you don't necessarily have as a child. It's almost a blessing for me to get into it so young because I was able to just kind of imagine and not have to worry about uh, those insecurities or doubts. Mm -hmm. mm. Did you find a, a space for your own voice within the art? Absolutely. Still finding it. Mm. When, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, so, I mean, you, you transition out of the great debaters. There are other opportunities coming your way. 
I'm really kind of intrigued of like where you start to like get a sense of your own desires within the business. What do I want? Do I start? Where am I working? What am I working on with myself? So on and so forth. That definitely came in my mid twenties. Mm. Um, the last, the last seven years, um, have been quite the transformation in my life. Mm. Um, for me, it's it's the self awareness of this is all I know and this is what I love. Mm. Um, right as I was coming out of high school, my father was very adamant about me going to college um, and getting a higher education. There's, I could count on a handful and probably less than that of people from my family who actually went to college. Um, and so, you know, my parents uh, definitely were willing to provide mm -hmm. uh, and, and they were excited about having a child, you know, who was interested in pursuing that. And I was, but I think I was doing it for them and not necessarily for me. Mm -hmm. So I learned quickly on that I, I dropped out of school probably within my first year of attending. I was already filming. I was doing Warrior with Gavin O'Connor and I was doing uh, Bad Lieutenant with Werner Herzog mm -hmm. at the time. So I wasn't able to even make class because of my truancy. Fo following a truancy record that I had in, in high school that was just because I was always working. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what I would say after that was I continued with a string of films and then things kind of dried up, mm. um, making that transition from young, uh, young child star to young adult. Um, your body changes, you know, you develop and change, your style changes, everything about you changes. So mm. that's where I got really internal. Um, Denzel was very early on adamant um, and, and uh, I mean, I, I thank him all the time. He saw it within me before I did my curiosity with filmmaking. Oh. And so he bought me my first viewfinder, my first camera. He invited me to the editing bay. And so I started to develop this curiosity behind the camera. Mm -hmm. That transitioned into me taking animation classes before I graduated high school. I made my first animated uh, film, only, you know, something that's like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, that same film developed into my second short film. I ended up adapting it into a live action short film. That live action short film, I spent about $85,000 of my own money. And that probably was my film school. Not probably, was my film school. Oh boy, did I learn lessons on that that I needed to learn. <laughs> and I spent way more money than I should have. And it was a toll financially, uh, economic, uh, financially, it was a toll, uh, just in diplomacy. It was a, it was a toll in arts and creativity and how to be resourceful. So many lessons that yes, I could have went to film school and learned, but I was learning actively on set. And then I translated that in real time. Um, from then on, I went to go work at Cartoon Network for about five years as an assistant editor. I worked on shows like Boondocks, Black Dynamite, Ben 10, um, Trying to think what else did I work on? Freaknik, the musical. Um, there was a couple others, but happened to click up with a producer friend of mine. Uh, him and his family was very, very open and inviting. Mm -hmm. I just happened to say, like, hey, I edit. They were like, do you want a summer job? Sure, I would love one. 
<laughs> you know, please, I'm out of I'm out of school right now. I love working. Yeah. Um, so I went to go edit a Cartoon Network. Uh, I trained with a fashion photographer for about three years. We just happened to meet through mutual friends. Uh, that's how I started to develop my eye behind the camera. He taught me everything I know about the exposure triangle and just composition and, and lighting. And I would go out every single day. Every single day, I'd take my camera and just get lost in Los Angeles. I'd pick one sector of the city and walk around on foot, find a new restaurant to eat at, find something interesting that I never knew. I'm born and raised in LA and I was finding out things about the city that I had never discovered just by simply taking a camera and venturing around. That's how I was able to sharpen my eye. Um, and then from then on, it was trial and error. Mm -hmm. It was really going on tour with rock bands, uh, working with a, a commercial and music video agency, uh, pitching and, and sending out treatments to be hired for different music videos, working with my friends who are artists and, and uh, you know, collaborating with their label. All of this is trial and error. I have no manuscript to it, but that's how I started to develop my voice, started to learn what I like, don't like, started to learn what my interests were, and also starting to figure out my acumen in the business um, uh, as a CEO or a young businessman and as an artist. Yeah. I, I was I was trying to do some research because I mean outside of our work on Serious Fest this year, um, mm -hmm. our conversations were you know quick and about the work we were doing and hopefully getting you on the pod. So yeah. there wasn't there wasn't enough time to like get to learn about you uh, in that space. So I see that you you had you got this fifty one fifty working right mm -hmm. now. It's in the pro it's in process of getting picked up. Yes. Yes. Okay. Tell well. Us. <laughs> hope so listen if you know anything about the nature of the television business which i'm learning in real time it's a um it, it's a part of the machine mm -hmm. yeah that makes it's sense. part of the machine and and you if donald if if the network of fx felt like they were taking a chance on donald glover Mind you, Donald Glover, who had already written on, what was it, 30 Rock, and who was writing on Parks and Recs, and who was Childish Gambino at the time, and mm -hmm. was no slouch by any measure. If FX thought they were taking a chance on him to be a showrunner and to develop his own show, imagine how I feel right now trying to get 5150 off the ground and taking it to networks. Yeah, but, but it feels like a little uphill climb. Very much of an uphill climb, and, I, and I'm, I'm thankful for every bit of the process, but I'm learning. Yeah. It's, if I were to go back to school, I say this all the time, if I were to go back to school, I would go learn business, not necessarily filmmaking, just mm -hmm. business. Oh. You find that that has been the biggest, like, hurdle in your authorship? I think the beautiful thing about what we do Mm -hmm. um, is we get to we're, we're privileged to make art and we're yeah. privileged to create empathy and we're you know it's, it's it's a gift to connect with the world and I mean I say it all the time everything that I do never feels like work any day on set never feels like work that's vacation to me mm -hmm. um, I truly love it but we are in the film business we are in the entertainment business make no mistake there is a business to it and I think the greats that we regard, whether they're filmmakers, actors, or whatever, understand that there is an equal part art and commerce that needs to be met. Absolutely. And so I think oftentimes we as artists forget about the commerce side of things. 
how to be marketable, um, how to be uh, available, how to uh, reach your target audience, you know, um, how to develop something. How does it interest those who sit behind the table and are only concerned about, you know, the line items? Mm -hmm. um, it's all of those things that I think we as artists should continue to be mindful of and truly the greats understand and, and understand how to make that money and that dollar amount work for them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Do you find the balance between being your own artist beholden only to your craft and the project that you care about? and being also a savvy businessman, is that balance hard to strike? I don't know if it's necessarily hard to strike, um, but like anything else, it's maturity. Mm. Maturity and, and who you see yourself fit. That's why I say the last seven years have been really exciting for me, is because if I, if I were to reflect back on my earlier years as a performer, I just got to do it out of sheer joy and fun. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for the time spent. Very, very grateful for every single lesson that was learned. But now as an adult, again, things change because my goals are even much larger. Mm -hmm. um, my dreams to not only, you know, bring my projects to life, but also help uh, shepherd my friends and their careers if I can. Not to say I'm taking on that responsibility, but I do understand that how my access, my network, the projects I'm creating uh, and the friendships that I've made, you know, this is all leverage. One of my buddies, he's a freak genius with music. Mm -hmm. And I think he should be way further than he is. He's already worked with like Nas and Rihanna and he's doing placements on television shows and people just don't even know he makes music. They don't know. Mm. People are so quick to forget everything that you can do. So it's this constant state of reminding them or, or refreshing them until you meet this social threshold to where everybody knows your name. Mm. You know, sometimes they talk about, you know, you never really truly made it until people refer to you as your first and last name. Mm. You know what I mean? Think about everybody that we, you know, bring yeah. up just yeah. in water cooler conversation. It's like, oh, such and such. It's it's Tom Cruise. It's Kevin Hart. It's Elon Musk. It's the first and last name, you know what I'm saying? Um, to where you reach that social threshold. And I think uh, for me, the business side of things is just helping me to be more savvy. Um, I would like to say I'm, I'm, I'm open, available, and I think I'm capable of, of you know, uh, flourishing that entrepreneurship side of me. Mm -hmm. um, again, I look to some of the people that I now admire in the business, and I think they do an incredible job of it. They're very mindful of it whether they're just on-screen talent or whether they're juggling a thousand different things, everybody's a hyphenate these days. Yeah. And you gotta adapt. And I think, you know, the legacy I'm trying to leave behind, I definitely need to adapt to becoming a hyphenate. Do you, do you focus on what your legacy is gonna be? Is that a big thousand motivator? Percent. All the time I think about it. Mm. What is, I mean, we usually, uh, we're, we're gonna keep going, but we end our podcast usually with like, What's that ghost light you wish was left on for you, which speaks to an old theater tradition of leaving a light on stage so that anyone coming late at night wouldn't fall off in the dark. So, and it's called, the, yeah, yeah. So it's called the ghost light. So, I mean, it's, That's it, dope. yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued because of late, uh, I mean, and I mean of late, like 
this last weekend, a little emotional for me. We don't need to go into that, but it was, I was really kind of concerned with my legacy. What was I doing with the work that I'm trying to get and, and getting right now? I mean, it's been an amazing effing time. Yeah. But there's also this part of me that's like, how does this fit into this ever-changing landscape? What is that? What does it echo to? And and, and to, for you to be saying that, no, I do care about what my legacy is going to be, and I have an idea for what it is. I, I'm 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 really impressed and intrigued. What is it about your legacy that's that drives you? You know what I um. I give great testament. Let me explain and then I'll circle back to it. Sure, sure. I give great testament to my higher power. I give great testament to the people around me. Uh, my parents, my God says those who I hold close, those who really keep me focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that every move I've made in my life was perfect. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but when applicable, I definitely always heeded the advice of people who were older than me. Mm-hmm. And I come from a family that was together. I mean, I had both of my parents in the household and I seen how instrumental and valuable that was for me to foster my dreams. And as I get older, I'm now 32. I think about, of course, you're getting to that age where you think about your family. And I think about, you know, one day having kids and if I were to leave this earth tomorrow and I had a child, would that child be a represent, representation of me? Did I leave something behind for them? Generational wealth, did I set them up? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about these, uh, these old money families who from the gate, they're setting their kids up with like, uh, how would you say? Opportunity. They're setting, their, they're setting their kids up with opportunity, absolutely. They're leaving money in the bank for them, you know, uh, real estate that they can profit off of, you know, they're, they're teaching them about economics. They're, they're teaching them um, about how to foster their art. They're just, I've seen it so much to where uh, people younger than us at the, in their teenage years have done everything from horseback riding to chess to been around the world. Like their exposure is different. Yeah. And I know, especially as, as a young man, a young black man, you know, a minority in this country, we're simply shut off from a lot just by exposure alone. You know, there's only so much outside of the hood that you really get to view. And I say that knowing cousins and family members who are still stuck in the hood and don't leave the radius of that. Mm -hmm. I was blessed enough to get out of that. My parents moved me out of the hood when I was five. And already I got to be around uh, an environment that wasn't like me. Mm -hmm. You know, there there were 12 of me, maybe all within that little pocket, that community. But I got to see so much and be uh, my, my eye was open. So again, at a very young age, I'm exposed to the world in a new way. So when I think about legacy, again, I was blessed to get my career started so young. And I was blessed to have money in the bank. So by the time I got out of high school, you know, it's not like I had to go get a job. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got a jump start on life a little bit early, but that doesn't last forever. Mm-hmm. And I know one day I am going to pass. And I just hope, I just hope, you know, whenever that time comes and God takes me that, you know, people don't talk dirt about my name. They say you die twice in this lifetime. The first time when your physical body transitions and then the second time when people stop saying your name. Well, I hope afterwards when people keep saying my name, you know, it's regarded in a good light. 
It's that I at least made this earth a little bit better, you know, once I got here and then left. Um, so yeah, when I think about my legacy, I just, I, I want to leave something for my family, for my loved ones. Um, I want to change the game of entertainment and that doesn't mean I need to be the best at it or that doesn't mean I need to be the loudest at it, but I do want to contribute something um, to this thing that I love. That is the second time today I've heard the, the, the saying you just referenced to uh, the, the two deaths that we experience, the physical and then the day people forget us and stop mm -hmm. saying our name. It was on this episode of Real Sports with a falconer. Mm. It was like it was it was it's just really, really serendipitous that you would mention that. Um, that's. That's awesome. I, it's so I, I feel like for me, like when I started thinking like the idea of a legacy always seemed like I'm a man that's like watched, you know, my favorite athletes play a season too long, you know, <laughs> go to a different team, a, a boxer keep fighting when they should have called it a career 10 years ago or you know whatever and and so when i think of legacy i always think of like finding that balance between i've accomplished enough mm -hmm. and knowing when i don't need to try accomplishing so much anymore because i've 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 accomplished enough <laughs> without, sure. without getting too redundant there but when you start thinking about i mean for a, a family in the future it, it, it is not just about like the work leading to good financial stability, but it's also the name that you hand down as well. Um, to, to go a little deeper into what I was kind of dealing with this last week is like, it occurred to me, like I have friends that are going to Hawaii and I saw them like having fun on the beach with their dad. Oh, wow. And I watched and I, and I watched warrior because it was like, oh, shit, I didn't know Denzel was in Warrior. So I watched Warrior again. And then that whole relationship where my biological father was addicted to drugs and I never met him, right? Oh, and wow. so, like, uh, it's so, like, having that connection, fatherly, mm -hmm. is unique. I have no connection to my father's biological name. Like, none of his, you know, sins have ca caught up with me, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But... It, there's also no positive connection. My the stepfather that subsequently fo followed, um, not not so good, but mm. is the love of my mother's life. So then, you sit there and you you allow her love to be her love, mm -hmm. advise her as best as a son can advise a mother, and say. I need you to be safe and I need you to be careful and I don't want you to give too much, but you could, but your love is your love and I'm not going to tell you where you share that. Mm -hmm. And now looking about here I am 38 year old man just quit a, a day job that was going to keep me well taken care of mm -hmm. day to day and allow me to do theater at night and just knowing emotionally the fatigue of that job wasn't going to be something that I could sustain my art career in any way, shape or form. Like I could have done the podcast probably long-term doing my day job and I'm kind of rambling here. So I apologize, but no, no, please. it was like the podcast as much as I love it. It's not enough for me. Like I, I love taking the two months off because I'm working on something and I'm sure my producer enjoys that time off as well. <laughs> but um, so 
here I am, no real tether, no parachute, cut it off and go. And then I think, I think that's what did it. I think mm-hmm. it was the true separation from a known quantity in my day job and the mm-hmm. unknown fully, you've got to do this shit. You cannot ask for help anymore. Mm-hmm. You've got to be on your, you've got to be on the job all the time. And then once I, I started, you know, really seeing how that's evolving, this audition this last week, grade learning opportunity, I butchered it. I wish I could shoot all that stuff again because I know I can do that stuff. But I, under energy level, I let it all go. I let it all kick off. And I'm like, damn, what an amazing opportunity that, that was that I wasn't ready for. Whether they would have gone for me or not. Yeah. It was just the, it was the fact that I didn't give them enough to bring me back. So, oh, all right. You you just threw a lot at me, and I want to. I want to. My apologies. <laughs> no, no, no. Please, I want. I want to throw some back at you. Mm. And again, I preface all of this by saying, we're all full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse my language. We're all. It's full okay. Of shit. You can cuss here. You can cuss. No, here. Nobody knows what they're doing in life. Mm-hmm. But there are certain. How would you say? There are certain ways of living. That if, you know, following that mantra, that, that, that idealized way of life, that life can be beautiful and easy on you mm-hmm. without me getting too religious or biblical or any of that. Because, you know, I, I, I'm very strong in my faith. I don't press upon religion on anybody. I, I have a problem with, you know, organized religion itself. But I do believe that the common laws that are written down with, you know, spiritual practices. Yes. Um, Living by that can make your life a little bit easier. Absolutely. I would agree so, with you. I say all that to say is, keep this. You've broken a generational curse. You yourself. You say your father uh, had a life of addiction mm-hmm. to which you don't find yourself succumbing to those same problems. That's already choosing to break the generational curse. You, in turn, are already changing the legacy of your family. I listened to a podcast the other day. Steve Harvey has a wonderful morning podcast. Mm. And he said something that was so profound. I I think he got it from somebody else. And um, he said, pain always leaves behind a present. And that's wild to think of. Because every single painful, scary moment that I've ever been a part of, you know, they always say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The same same concept. Pain always leaves behind a present. If you can endure, if you can withstand and get to the other side of that, life will switch around. There is always this beautiful balance to life, but you have to find the opportunity. You have to find the way. So now you're stuck in this gray area, this purgatory, so to speak, where yes, you quit the job and you know now your back's up against the wall. Well, shit. As a, as an artist, especially somebody who I don't know where my next job or my next paycheck is coming from. And that's why I'm, you know, so adamant about getting focused upon my business is there is no sustain uh, sustainability with an art. I've never known where my next job is coming from. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of be available to what life is going to give you. So when the pandemic hit and like lockdown happened and everybody was freaking out, like, what do I do? I don't have a job. I don't know how to make money. Shit. I've been doing that for years. Mm -hmm. What else is new? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it and it is absolutely terrifying. And as I got older, speaking to your mom's point, um, you know, and and with all respect to your mother, it's like 
I had to learn as a, as a young adult too um, about false heroes. Because mm. as a child, we look up to our parents and, and you know we think the world of them until we start getting older and start realizing who they are as people. And I love my parents dearly. And I think they're still heroes in my mind. And if I could be a sliver of my mother and dad, which I hope I am, mm. you know, I'd be very proud at the end of the day. But there are false heroic characteristics that I idolized in my mind where I have to grow up and realize like, oh, my parents didn't have it figured out. At the age of 30 some, my mom, you know, made a commitment to shepherd my life and then she stopped working a normal day job. So now that she's older in her 50s or 60s and now the kids aren't home, she's trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. And to put that into a perspective, if I could think if I dedicated 20 some odd years of my life to a child now and I just kind of, you know, stop pursuing my acting career, how would I feel? You know what I mean? And, and having that empathy for safe or so our parents and realizing where they are, I don't feel so bad or good about it. It's just, I understand you made that choice. Yeah. And for, for whatever that may be, if that's a choice that fulfills you in life, then so be it. And I'm proud and happy to support it anyway, the same way I'm sure you're happy to support your mother's choices. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to which case now you're in this this interesting, you know, period, like you said, where you're thinking about your legacy and where do you go from here? That's a beautiful place to be. It means you're growing. The only L's you take are the ones that you don't learn from. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're stuck in this position right now, how do you get out of it? What present are you going to get from this pain? How are you going to evolve? And then once you evolve, guess what? There's going to be something else that's going to smack you right in the face. And then now you're going to have to deal with that. Hell yes. You know what I mean? But yeah. that's kind of the beautiful thing of how we think about this legacy is I really do, at least for me, like, it's not just about me. Mm -hmm. It really ain't just about me. You know, all of my work, I think about, well, what is the representation going to be for somebody who's younger watching? When Black Panther came out, I seen young children you know, my little nieces and nephews look at me and say they want to be royalty. When is the first time I've ever seen young black children wanted to be royalty before in America? Right. right. And to Especially think that if you're that, not learning about the, the, the old tribes back in Africa that were yeah. covered in gold, the, the, the successes, the, math, the mathematical geniuses that were in Africa before we started paying attention to it. Oh, come on now, speak on it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's all there, but they don't. We don't teach any of that. So, no. so, so then to get it through Black Panthers, like at, at least they got it, but then just like, that's why we need more representation. Right. So that's why we need more stories like this. But it, then you realize it's not just about you. Mm -hmm. When you realize how powerful that is, that it ain't just about you, that's a part of your legacy. Yeah. That yeah. In, a, in an entire sense. That's why I say, like, I think about my children. I think about my family. I think about... What is that representation going to be? I can be a dickhead all I want and be arrogant and, you know, say, ah, I got this, I got that, or blah, blah, blah. But when you really step back from it, like, be grateful for the fact you even got this opportunity to do this, that you got a roof above your head, that you have working life, that you could sit here and have a podcast. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not saying you're not grateful of that, but, like, that's kind of the beautiful thing that keeps you going is, like, oh, it's not about me. I can sit here and do this podcast and I can share these stories and I can put this out and like somebody, you know, whether it's all three of us, this, this is casual talk for us, but we never know what child out there might be hearing this and they had no, uh, uh, they had self doubt or insecurities about themselves. So mm -hmm. 
you know, they had no gumption to get up and do anything. And right now they're hearing us talk about legacy and now they start to think about theirs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're helping people just by sitting here sharing our stories. True. You know? True. I was, I mean, when you're talking about like what that type of experience is seeing and hearing these common struggles, right? Or these stories that are, I mean, while they are, say, like, for an example, Black Panther is ex- is pretty exclusively a, a tale for, for Africans, black people in America, like how that all marries and jives. And then, like, I was in the theater, like, two, four weeks into the run on a Tuesday in uh, of, of Black Panther at a theater, and I'm in the theater with no one else for like the first 10 minutes of the pre previews. And then like this group of four black men sit like four rows in front of me mm-hmm. and we get to the end of the movie. And at the end of it, like they don't say any words. It's like they wrap arms around each other. Wow. And like, I, and I, and I was saying that that's, that's a beautiful moment. I'm really like that, that cements what, what I felt watching the movie. I really liked the movie, beautiful story. I understood the importance of it. And then I got to see it. And then you leave there and you go like, I, now I need a similar story for like my Navajo people. Like, I'm, yeah. like, we, like we, we need to get that stuff out there. I'm not saying it's not getting done. I'm sure there are people in those communities that are brilliant writers that have something. It's just not getting heard. Oh man, that just gave me chills, bro. That's, that's, that's wild. That's, that's yeah. a beautiful thing to hear. But yes, it, it who knows? I absolutely do think people out there are, are trying to bring that story to a fold. While we were in Series Fest, I met um, some wonderful young ladies um, who are from the Native American tribe, and they had like a television show or whatnot, and they were, you know, getting getting their voice out there. Nice. Um, but again, that's the beauty of this life: is who's to say who, what's your purpose? Mm-hmm. You know. And again, not to get too preachy, but it's like. You have a very specific skill set, a very specific DNA, your life experience, your family, your background, the people that you hung around, your religious beliefs, whatever it may be. You are you, and there is no other Sam on this face of this earth, right? Yeah. And that's a part of your purpose. Mm-hmm. And there's no mistake to that either. You didn't choose who your parents were. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose even your genetic makeup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so when people talk about, you know, oh, there's no God or religion or whatever it may be, cool. Let's put that to a side for a second. But you still don't choose any of that. Mm-hmm. That in it of itself is a part of your purpose. And then to find what your purpose is and put that forward, whether you truly believe that you're destined to tell that story for your people or not, if you choose to act upon it, imagine how powerful that could be. Mm-hmm. And just that alone, imagining how powerful it could be and then moving forward yeah whether you believe that's your divine purpose or not just actively putting that into motion mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. absolutely you don't know you, you could be the one you could be and how would you know if you never did it you're preaching absolutely <laughs> can i use the restroom absolutely Let's take a All break right. I'll, I'll we'll, be, we'll be right back ghosties
We are back. So we're talking about all that stuff. I, one of the things that was leading in here, I want to transition to, I, I think this is really unique. This you've, you've been creating, not just as an actor for a long time. Um, you doing a lot of your animation stuff that, that cultivates one aspect of your vision, your, in your, your artistic voice, your stuff as an actor contributes to that as well your, your your eye through the camera as a photographer videographer that contributes as well and you've been writing um most of if like, like 50 percent of 5150 i just and you've also created mother not mother uh, other um pieces on your own with your own writing to that you're an auteur at this stage of your career do you who are your influences on that? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you recently did a production um, for BET and the director of that, I, I, I had his name down and I've since lost it. Um, director of that um, had also written the script. And I wonder if you took some notes on working on that project. So funny you mentioned that because uh, that's my buddy Quincy Ledbetter. Great, great friend of mine. Um, and we're working together on something now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's nice. kind of like the cool thing about uh, having these different tools in the toolboxes is uh, getting to collaborate with like minds. Mm -hmm. You know, Quincy, uh, Quincy and I aren't that far off in age, but I knew as soon as I got the script um, and just connected with him, mm -hmm. it was one of those things where like, oh, we have like minds. You know, for me, I'm I'm really excited about bringing, you know, a fresh, nuanced perspective of what is black, mm. what is you know, black culture in America, because um, I think we only get you know certain viewpoints, and outside of the last you know few years, five years, especially outside of the last decade, we really only kind of got like poverty and the struggle and coming from the hood, and then you get like, you know, the best friend to the main white kid. Yeah. So. Um, to me, I, again, I, I'm very blessed to say that I, I came from a, a good background. You know, my parents worked their ass off to provide for me and my uh, sibling. Mm -hmm. So I did have privilege in that regard. And so I'm not going to shy away and say like, oh, I came from the trenches. No, I did not. Um, and that isn't even something that I told like a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Very proud of my background. Um, but I wasn't seeing a reflection of myself within the media. Just like... Donald Glover, for instance, I take my hat off to Donald Glover because I think he's bringing something so fresh and new and he can kind of do anything he wants. Mm. I look at, which is crazy because I look to a lot of musicians because I think, especially for black culture, uh, we've been able to spread our wings a little bit quicker through, you know, the avenues of music than we have through film and television. Yeah. Um, so I look to like Kanye West, I think, is one of the greatest artists of our time, mm. hands down. And I don't say that lightly. I say that confidently, like, for whatever you want to say about the man and who he is and his viewpoint on life, name me somebody else outside of like Prince or Michael Jackson or, you know, some of the greats up there that has really done what that man has truly done with his artistry, with branching into different sectors of his art, um, with, you know, uh, 
again, being polarizing, but really just bringing new fresh flavors, not only transcending what is hip hop, but also what is fashion, mm -hmm. you know, what is just art in general, combining all the things that he loves. And you can tell he's a, he's a very exposed uh, man and was an exposed child. Yeah. I look to cats like Pharrell, I look to Tyler, the creator, swinging it back to our industry. You know, I look to like the Spike Lees, I look to um, Steven Spielberg, who, come on, master mm -hmm. of what he does. Scorsese, a master of what he does. Denzel Washington, I'm forever grateful for what he does and what he's done within my career. Um, I mean, even we started this conversation off with Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise has a bulletproof career. Say what you will about his life and, you know, his personal choices and who he chooses to align with. But look at that man's career. And he's still putting numbers on the board. Yep. You know, his, his, uh, his work ethic, his quality, how he gives it all and puts us all on the line. Like, I look at a cat like Kevin Hart, um, who I take inspiration from. Because I see how he was able to transition from being a stand-up comic to uh, making films and now running a business, Heartbeat Productions. Mm -hmm. I watched his documentary and I was just fascinated by even the um, adversities that he had faced whether they were self-inflicted or whether they were just external and how he was able to learn from that. And then, you know, only become a better man to his family, but a better businessman, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it all circles back to kind of that legacy talk. Um, and again, I, I give all credit to my God sis. Um, I give all credit to my mom and dad because from very early age, they said, son, you could do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, my god sis is very adamant about that she's like you could walk and chew gum at the same time can you mm -hmm. so if you know how to edit and you know how to shoot photos and you know how to act and you know how to direct and all that what's stopping you from doing any of it, it as an artist if i wake up tomorrow and i want to make shoes i'm making shoes mm -hmm. i'm painting i'm an artist what else am i going to do i spent my whole entire life i spent 32 years of my life doing this what am i going to stop now and who's to say I'm, I'm not limitless? You know what I mean? Who's to say we aren't all limitless? Um, and that's kind of the beauty, at least growing up in the sector of art, that, that kind of opens and frees the mind. But really, it does, it's not segregated to art. Like, we as people are limitless. Mm -hmm. We play within this very controlled and constructed environment of, you know, uh, classism and economics and, you know, home and trade and barter and all this none of this existed people made this shit mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. i mean so who's to say you can't do anything absolutely absolutely with, with having your hands in so many different pots creatively like where do you find your balance as denzel whitaker just the person like what are the things that helps you recharge your batteries one I'm very thankful to be doing something that I absolutely love to do. Mm -hmm. So even on its most grueling days where I'm like tired, exhausted, and fully fatigued, I still at the end of the day wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. Yeah. Um, number two, I find solace in my own peace. Mm -hmm. um, early on, I was, I was very much uh, hesitant to really live alone. Um, in my early 20s, I, I, you know, I, I moved out, got my own place, and I hated it. And I always felt like I needed to be surrounded by other people until I really just embraced, like, my true superpower is being alone with my mm -hmm. thoughts, my ideas, my peace, 
um, again, I had to mature at a very young age. So um, for me, I, I enjoy being alone sometimes. Yeah. I enjoy just kind of like going into obscurity. That's why I don't really have like a crazy social media presence or anything like that. Um, I really do separate my life from my work where I put forth the things that I think you need to know about me. And you don't need to know that much about my family. You don't need to know every single movement that I'm making. We're in such an overshare world. And I already work my ass off behind the scenes doing a lot of things that you don't see. Mm. So for me, resting is like going to the beach, meditating. Um, I get energy by being around people that I love, friends, family members. Um, I get energy just by going out in life and just seeing beautiful things. Um, I can't necessarily say I vacation often because my work takes me all over the place. Yeah. Like I was just on set for a month and that felt like more of a vacation than me being at home. Because mm -hmm. when I'm at home, I'm constantly working on what is the next thing that's going to take me on the road. Yeah. So once I get on the road, there's a sense of freedom um, because I'm there to just focus on that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of distill it all to kind of one thing. And even with the projects that I'm working on now, it's, it's all about um, allocating the proper amount of time, remembering to work out, eat healthy, yeah. You're a human being, you know, go to sleep early. You know what I mean? Yeah. Take care of yourself. It's it's the endurance that we started with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I had a, <laughs> I had a question and then you said something that was like, oh, that reminds me of a joke. And now I'm going <laughs> to, and I lost the whole thing that I was going to piggyback onto that. It's going to um, come back. I, I, I hope, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, this has been a really eye-opening conversation from the perspective of that. Like, we're we're all actors, right? There, it doesn't feel like over the course of my career, I learned I had the good fortune of like getting paired with like actors that I had seen in Denver in the game for a very long time, and I'm like, oh, in rehearsal, once I got to work with them, they're just like everyone. They're just like everyone else. The, there are tears to this stuff. There is a a certain level of, I guess, difference at, at certain levels, but it's minuscule if it exists at all. Do you, f do you find that your, you know, trial and error working on the job in the moment is, is enough of an education still at this stage at 32 working as an actor, or do you, do you take time out to like seek out coaching Ooh, great question. Um, formal coaching is very sparse for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say, like, I know everything on this. No, I don't. That would be arrogant for me to sit here and say, like, I know how to, how to do everything. No. Um, but the last time I really, really coached was probably right around Great Debater's time. Um, I had a wonderful coach who just kind of knew me inside and out, and she unfortunately passed away. Um, and then there's another good friend of mine, a family friend, who I sometimes coach with her. And very sparingly, we'll do something where I really feel like I kind of take it, need to take it up a notch. But within the last few years, especially with like self tapes becoming more prevalent in our industry, yeah. it's all coaching. Self tapes is, is the equivalent of Kobe going to the gym and putting up a couple shots, yeah. you know, before game time. Um, cause we're really trying to flex our muscles and we're really trying to learn and grow. 
uh, and we challenge what's on the paper. And, and even then uh, with, with kind of my filmmaker knowledge, I'm like, well, how can I light this different? How can I look more appealing? Uh, what codec could I, you know, export this in so that, you know, it's, it's a small file size, but also they get all the quality. So you're always kind of learning and stretching and growing and have a few actors that I really love taping with and they're all working actors. So iron sharpens iron, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that for me is, is kind of the coaching. Um, now I put it this way and I've always said this, let there be some multi-million dollar film that comes around mm. and they need me to do some really intensive character and or you know this is just something that i know can take my career to that next level why would i not see fit to to open every door yeah the flip side of that though i've seen coaching go terribly wrong mm. even with myself i remember yeah. uh there was an audition i went out for like transformers 2 revenge of the fallen mm-hmm. been out for a few transformers now, i love the franchise it's cheesy fun for me. The the first one, the first one hit. Phenomenal. First one hit. Yeah. Oh, first the one. first one was great. Yeah, first one hits. It's... First one they did have magic in the bottle. I was just talking about this at lunch. <laughs> uh, the first one they had magic in a bottle, and and we can come back to that, right? Let's do it. Um, but so I by just... magic in a bottle, you mean Tyrese? You are absolutely correct. <laughs> it took me a long time to to appreciate Tyrese, but I got to give him some hand claps there. Hey man, he's I, he's he's done singing on the bus. He is, he is he's out there. I give Tyrese some hand claps, man. Hell yes, I have to. Any black man who's doing it, I got to give you some hand claps. Um, <laughs> so let, anyway. let me let me let me put it this way. Yeah, Transformers Two. I went out for the audition, right? And and again, I was such a super fan after the first one. Mm-hmm. Such a super fan. And Denise Chamian was the casting director for the second one. Denise Chamian was also the same casting director who casted Great Debaters. They said, oh, this is a warm, friendly handover, you know? Should be great. Now, again, I, I realized I was like super young for the role. There were all sort of things that were working against me. Hmm. But at that time, oh, you couldn't tell me I didn't want this part. And so I went and coached. Coached with a new guy who he had seen something funny and he wanted to push me in a certain direction. And I knew at the time that this didn't feel right to me. I knew at the time you could just feel in your bones. And I was like, this is awkward. This doesn't feel like the character I would be. Mm -hmm. I remember walking into the audition and Denise had me like sit down and perform it in front of her. And I could just see her look at me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I know you just you just cast me in the great debaters and we, we we just got nominated for this film and i'm coming in with this performance and she's kind of looking at me like that was good okay well let's let's try some you know they try to be nice about it that was good uh, let's try something different and i'm just thinking to myself oh god this is a bad representation of me mm-hmm. and by the time i tried to tried to snap out of that character that i rehearsed and try to just go into my natural instincts I wasn't as flexible as I was even now as an actor. Mm. It was very hard for me. And I remember leaving that audition feeling like I just failed utterly and completely. And coaching just worked against me. Mm-hmm. There are some roles where literally, I hate to admit this, but there are some roles where like, I just trust instincts and don't even prepare for them. And I do a much better job than that than like formally going through the training. 
do you find that you are are asked to to stretch outside of just like f- there are actors in this game that are around for decades and decades and decades and the difference between who they are in say an interview setting or chilling at the house and who they portray behind the wheel of a car or you know chasing after somebody or in a really intense scene is very like the 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 difference the line between the person and the the character they're playing doesn't stray that much they do you feel like you're asked to stretch or are you allowed to stay really close to your authentic self i think it depends mm. there are movie stars and then there are character actors mm-hmm. um and i think it's what do you want for yourself and then how does hollywood see you because ah. again you also got to be very very upfront with who you are the Rock Johnson as a big, bulky guy, you know, mm-hmm. and he intentionally works on that. Mm-hmm. But as a big, bulky man and such and such, you're not about to be like the, the unconfident, you know, pen, paper pusher at like some little desk clerk job. Yeah. And even if you are, you're doing it in some very satirical way. Yeah, it's stylized. Yeah. It's stylized. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, you, your frame, your appearance, your everything about you um, is very much so a part of like the characters that you're going to play. So when you ask me, do I do more character stuff versus like things that are close to me, it's kind of split in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just now stepping into like leading man territory. But even then, I think we all know this when I say it, and, and this is no discredit to anybody out there. There are con- conventional looking movie stars. You know, there is this quote unquote uh, conventional beauty standard. Mm -hmm. And I say that that's ever evolving every single day. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who are interchangeable and you can just almost throw them in anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to name names because this is a much, much deeper conversation. But, you know, you just see him and it's like, oh, stereotypical white dude. I could put him in five roles. Mm -hmm. Movie star. And then there are cats like. Philip Seymour Hoffman, or I'd even go as far as to say, like, um, what's my man's name? Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum is a character actor. Now, you scrunch your face like that because mm-hmm. he might not be known as, like, the name, but if you look up Shea Wiggum and you think of every single role he's ever played, he has never not showed up a day on set and just served. Wow. That man is phenomenal at every single role that he steps into, but he's mm-hmm. a character actor. You know him for the characters he plays, but less of him being a movie star. Yeah. We call him and, that guy. Right. Yeah. Because you, like, you we, see him in everything, but he's always, there's, he can play any part and fit yeah. into any movie. Yeah. I think like Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he's obviously more known, but he's a character actor through and through. Christian yeah. Bale, he's a character actor through and through. Yeah. And he's almost one of those that would straddle the line between movie star and character actor, oh, but yeah. he doesn't. Oh. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah. like, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to say that. I know Tom Cruise is, is really doing the work, but Tom Cruise is a movie star. Yeah. They're, they're paying I mean? for Tom Cruise. They're paying for Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I'm paying for Tom Cruise. I want Tom. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like, you know what I'm saying? So, so, and there's nothing bad about that. There's nothing bad at it at all. There's, like, Michael K. Williams, you know, rest in peace. Mm-hmm 
once he delivered a wonderful performance that he did as Omar in The Wire, he kind of got stuck being like, not necessarily the villain, but skewing in antagonist territory. Mm-hmm. You know, or he always had the intense people. guy. The intense guy. There was like some plight. There was some drama. Mm-hmm. He also had this really wickedly cool scar that ran down his face and whatnot. It's like we're not about to make you the love interest, you know, in in some rom com. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say he couldn't do it. Michael K. Williams could do whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. But he was just embracing what were his characteristics naturally as a person, and then he was fulfilling a certain role. And we mm-hmm. love them in it. There are certain actors that you could think of, and I'm sure someone will come to name, where it's like, man, he always played a villain, or he always played angry. Yeah. And he's great at it. Mm-hmm. He might be very close to that. Not to say they're not, you know, great people outside of that. Certain life experiences beget you playing certain characters. Yeah. Like Michael Shannon, mm-hmm. like he he looks like the enforcer, a hitman, the the guy that you do not want to find in the backseat of your car after a long shift, you know. Sure, he, sure, he, sure. He's he, he's got that kind of intense quality to his, and he's also very tall looking. He's wide shouldered. Like I'm not trying to pick a fight with him, but then like a guy like you know Paul Rudd, yeah, he's everybody's. You know, you just want to cuddle him. Right, so then take Paul Rudd and make him put him in Michael Shannon roles, and it's like, yeah, we're not. It's a different movie now. <laughs> and then that's where the beauty comes, where you cast against type, mm-hmm. and it does happen. And some people really come out and and really, you know, hit the ball over the fence. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be a tailored role that makes sense. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, look at Robert Pattinson, who. Mm-hmm. You know, the second half of, I'm not even going to call it a half of his career. That's insulting. We don't know how far the man's career is going to go. Yeah. But um, to to watch him now blossom into to much more, you know, darker, uh, challenging roles, especially casting against type of what was, we known him as Twilight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's a thing to watch. Well, I was like, we're talking about this, and I was offering a lot of, like, specific white examples, but... Chadwick Boseman playing mm-hmm. leading man, like Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, T'Challa. And then his last role in um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I, yeah. in a million years, I wouldn't have asked him to be the, the bad guy. Yeah. And yeah. that, I mean, that was amazing. That transformation into that character was amazing. And I never would have seen it coming. But he's good. He mm-hmm. straddles movie star and, uh, and character actor. He can do both. Yeah, yeah. There are cats who could do both. He does both. Absolutely. Two of them are talking on this pod right now. Hey. (laughs) 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 Um, But before we before we let you go, I I, we touched on it briefly. But um, what is that ghost light you wish was left on for you when you started your career that you would turn on right now for the generation coming after you? I'm big on. kids being inspired that it's possible. Mm-hmm. If I were to leave a ghost light on, um, and I will leave a ghost light on, is, is that, you know, never lose sight of that imaginative spark. You know, don't let the world take away or rob you of your imagination. My imagination was my saving grace. Mm-hmm. I grew up with uh, siblings, but you would think I'd 
came up as an only child the way I sort of just locked myself in a room and it, it was really my toys it was you know the characters developing in my head it was all of the ideas um it was you know reading stories and comic books and different things like that and just to see that it's possible mm-hmm. um again we don't have all the answers and and we try to find it in philosophy and, and in religion and whatnot but at the end of the day like you know, you can only live the life that you have been given and that you choose to live. And I think, you know, by populace, we try to pull each other. So especially as young children, if young black kids from the hood didn't know that they could travel to Tokyo or like Ibiza or anything like that, they don't even know where those places are. All they know is just their centralized location to then see somebody like myself on TV that, you know, knows what that community is like but also put myself in a position where I can build an empire and I can still be a big kid and, you know, obtain and get the things that I want out of life or, you know what I mean? Just to have that example, just to show them that it's possible, mm-hmm. um, just to show them that that blessing is upon them and with work ethic and with, you know, determination, um, with absolutely unshakable faith that it can happen. It can happen. Uh, that would be the ghost light that I would want to leave on especially for my own culture. Again, I, I talk about that nuance of black. I'm not your average black man. I don't plan to be, um, and I'm very proud of it. And I love my culture. <laughs> and without getting too in the weeds, it's like, even when it comes down to dating or whatnot, you know, I've, I've dated all across the spectrum. And I find it interesting, you know, when you date outside of the race, people are like, oh man, but you're not sticking true to your roots. No, that's not true. Mm. I talk that shit every day of the week all seven days of the week. I am proud of who I am and I'm proud of whoever my kid's gonna be, whether they're mixed race or whether they are gonna be full black. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna teach my heritage to them and I hope they carry that same sort of pride within their own heritage. So, you know, um, I do wanna lift up my people, but more importantly, I wanna just show the young boys and girls that it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Denzel, I, I think you, I think you're actively working on, on making that a reality and I'm, it's really been awesome to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time out and meeting with us. Absolutely. Wow, this was a pleasure. Well, I'm glad. This, this is just us uh, talking, just hanging with a glass of water and iced tea and yeah, chilling. That's right. Ice packs to keep the laptop from overheating. We're, we're exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I, I, I also, sorry, usually when the, the podcast is over, that's when I jump in and, and ask some questions. Yeah. But uh, you had this like uh, vivid uh memory of sitting at a uh, you know on set with Denzel and you soaking everything in do you have you had that moment where you kind of felt that there's a kid on set that's now you and you're Denzel well I mean you are Denzel but you know like have you had that experience where now you're on set and you're the uh the mentor wow great question Fantastic question. Um, Making me look bad, Dan. Yeah, never. Come on, man. Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, probably most recently I worked with a, a young kid, um, and he was great in his own right. He, he was wonderful on the film that we just shot in North Carolina. Um, his father was there, and uh, again, it. it you never know how you're going to inspire somebody. So I always say just kind things in passing, especially when it comes to young kids. You know, I try to lead an example 
whether it's taking a picture or anything like that. Um, just really kind of picking their brain and seeing where their interests lie and just uh, uh, pushing them to be like, hey, yeah, it's possible. You know, look at me looking at the people you're working around like it is possible. Uh, there's a young kid in 5150 who, even though he's only he only maybe has like less than a minute to 30 seconds worth of screen time. He was so wonderful, even at the age of 10, when he came in in his audition. Um, it's a very emotional scene. So we had him break down in tears. And I just asked him, like, hey, uh, would you be comfortable doing this? Do you know what your emotional triggers are? And he was so prepared. He was reading like a book by Meisner. Um, he knew what his triggers were. And I'm just thinking to myself, at the age of 10, you are brilliant. And every time I would see him, whether it be the premiere or when I see him on set or whatnot, I'd just go give him a hug and be like, dude, you're amazing. To think that you're doing that at that age. And I remember what I was like at 10 and how self-aware you are, but also how giving you are with your art and how he's just a young adult. Imagine where his career is going to go. So um, I don't know if I per se had that direct impact on him the same way Denzel Washington and everybody did, but I just try to be available um, and connect with young children when I can, yeah, or even yeah. just to be honest with you, some of my peers. Mm-hmm. work with a lot of my peers who maybe only been like a year or two in the game and I try to pass knowledge because I wish I had that knowledge earlier. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that today. I, we run a, a, a youth theater camp here at our uh, Arts and Culture Center and I was just like randomly thinking about that today, like seeing some kid having a hard time or, you know, having one of our tech kids come through and just thinking to myself about the people who just took me under their wing and how mm. like you know actively trying to find that one kid like do you try to find that or do you just let it happen no i don't think i'm ever trying you know i think that that becomes a little self-serving at yeah. a certain point yeah. yeah um things come naturally man i think you just got to be available mm-hmm. um keep your ear open like i have little nieces and nephews uh my nephew you know he's he's what is he? I think he's about 11 going on 12 at this point, but he's dealing with things in school. And, you know, with my, uh, my sister, which is his mother, uh, she can only teach him from her perspective. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as, as one of the men in his life, you know, let me, let me tell you what it was like when I was your age. Um, and I, and I kind of understand what you're going through now. So you just try to be available. I think more so than anything, never really purposely seeking it. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. So you're giving me great advice too. So I'm, I'm, I'm benefiting here. There you go. <laughs> hey, man, we we pass it on. We just share the experiences. Absolutely. Well, once again, thank you, Denzel. Ghosties, the man is Denzel Whitaker. Um, please look out for fifty one fifty. That's going to get picked up very soon. And look back Absolutely. at the look back at the videography. The man can do it all. Dan, do the damn thing. appreciate you denzel great talking to you sam dan appreciate you both thank you guys uh yeah just hit me on all right have a have a good time be safe on the five Mm -hmm. (laughs) i appreciate it thank you guys